Hello, it's Peter Wright and Kathleen Beauvais in Ontario, Canada, with episode number 111 of The Yacking Show. This is the show for awakening you to new perspectives for the changing world we live in. A quick request, if you like our show, please subscribe on the channel you're either watching it on or listening to it to. More, more subscribers helps us get more exposure for our guests and their organizations, and we believe that that's really important important in this day and age. As always, we have a lineup of interesting guests. Today's is no exception, but it's my job first to welcome my co-host Kathleen in Waterloo, who will introduce our guest. Hi, Kathleen. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Peter, and the sun is shining, so everything is wonderful. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and thank you all so much for tuning into our show. We so appreciate you, and we love reading your comments, so please keep them coming. And if anyone out there is interested in being a guest on our show, please don't hesitate to reach out to either Peter or myself. And as Peter mentioned, we do have another special guest with us today. A very, very important topic. Welcome to the show, Robin Smart. You are the public education coordinator for the Alzheimer's Society, Water Waterloo Wellington. That's a mouthful. <laughs> Welcome. It's a large mouthful. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. I'm actually one of two public education coordinators. Waterloo Wellington is a large area, so there's two of us. Oh, wonderful. Now, can you tell us more about the Alzheimer's Society and how they help support the community? Absolutely. And I love the way you put it because the Alzheimer's Society does support the whole community. We are there to not only help people who have a diagnosis of dementia and their family members, but their friends, their extended circle. Anybody who cares about that person can access our services. They can learn about dementia. They can learn enhanced communication techniques. I think there's a couple of things that people really need to know. Even though our name is Alzheimer Society, um, we are the Alzheimer and Related Dementia Society. Mm -hmm. Any type of dementia, any type of dementia at all, even if you don't have a definitive diagnosis, we are the go-to place. So please don't hesitate. If the word dementia has come up in the conversation, you should be having a conversation with us. Another really awesome thing is that we don't limit our service. As you're probably aware, anybody who is experiencing dementia is experiencing a situation that is going to be prolonged. Um, unfortunately, the diseases that cause dementia are slow moving very often and they last for years and years. So the experience could be anywhere from two to 20 years. Wow. Even more as a marathon than a sprint. And so we are there for every step of the journey. You can see us when you're concerned but don't have a diagnosis and wonder if you should be seeing your doctor or not. You can see us at the time of diagnosis. You can see us as changes occur during the journey. You can see us when you're thinking about perhaps long-term care. We are there for the entire journey. And our services are offered at no charge. There is no charge for our core services. And uh, that takes a lot of fundraising on our part, because actually we have to fundraise 60% of our budget every year so wow. that anybody who either phones us or sends us an email, all we say to them is, how can we help? So, yeah, we are there to provide not only uh, education and support, uh, but social and recreational. I know that we're going to talk in more detail about the wide variety of services we have. But I think you can easily say that we do support the entire community because 
when somebody has been diagnosed with any form of dementia, yes, one person has the diagnosis, but obviously it's like the ripples in the pond. Everybody mm -hmm. connected to that person uh, is affected. And so it is the whole community each time there's a diagnosis. Wow. That, wow, that's very well explained. Thank you for that, Robin. In my mind, and I think in, in a lot of people's minds uh, who don't know enough about Alzheimer's or dementia, uh, mm -hmm. we tend to use the terms interchangeably, and, and I suspect that's wrong. So, so is there a significant difference between Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia? That is a great question, Peter, and it is the most commonly asked question that I get. Right. Um, uh, yeah, so you're not alone in, in that at all. When we're talking about dementia, we are talking about a set of symptoms. Dementia is actually technically a syndrome or a collection of symptoms that accompanies some sort of underlying disease process. Mm -hmm. So there has to be an underlying disease process that is affecting the brain before we see symptoms of change in people's abilities and functions. Alzheimer's disease is the most common underlying disease process that uh, cause somebody to exhibit the symptoms of dementia. Right. But there are numerous, numerous, numerous reasons that somebody could have dementia. Alzheimer's is simply the most common reason. When we say dementia, when we use that word, it's an umbrella term. Mm -hmm. It really means changes in memory, language, judgment, reasoning, ability to perform daily tasks, and changes in personality and behavior that worsen over time. And so any type of dementia, we're the go-to place, I said that earlier, yes, but yeah. there are so many different reasons somebody could have dementia. Some of them are irreversible, such as Alzheimer's disease, vascular dementia, Lewy body dementia, chronotemporal dementias, but some are reversible reasons. And I think it's so important that people do not hesitate to go to their doctor if they're having some confusion issues, memory problems, trouble concentrating. It may be something else. It may be something acute. And it's uh, something that, that can be treated. And okay. so you, you want to get in there. If it's something acute, you want to get it fixed and get back to your life. Right. So things can mimic. Uh, looking a little bit like Alzheimer's in the early stages, it might be that you have undiagnosed thyroid disease, it might be undiagnosed depression, it might be metabolic disorders, it might be interaction of medications, it might be, heaven forbid, but a, a brain tumor or, or normal pressure hydrocephalus or Lyme disease. Or, so always get it checked out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow, so interesting. I just, yes. I just want to ask just for clarity, because based on what you said, when we think of dementia or Alzheimer's in particular, we're thinking memory loss. But as you pointed out, dementia can pop up in, in other forms, not necessarily memory, but perhaps in complex uh, you know, tasks when a person has to is given a task to do and they can't sure, follow. Sure, when the front lobe is involved and, and they're struggling to, to function the way they used to. There are many, many different types of dementia. And if you look at the literature, no two books agree somewhere between 70 and 200 different types of dementia. Wow. When dementia visits your life, no two people will experience it in exactly the same way. When you've met one person, 
with dementia, you've met one person with dementia. So I'm going to just broadly pull this out for you. Mm -hmm. Most people associate memory loss with Alzheimer's disease. Mm -hmm. And although memory loss is a very, very typical characteristic for early stage Alzheimer's disease, Mm -hmm. it is not the only characteristic. If you have memory loss alone, it's not necessarily Alzheimer's at all. You may have a problem, but it's not necessarily Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's is so much more than Uh, memory loss. I rhymed off a bunch of different dementias there a moment ago. Let's think about uh, Lewy body, for example. It's another type of dementia. And Lewy body dementia uh, looks more like a cross between Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. You have movement disorder and you have fluctuations in cognition, but you may not see memory first. More women than men are affected by Alzheimer's. More men than women are affected by Lewy body. Uh, You could have uh, frontotemporal. There are many types of FTD um, dementias, and they usually don't start with memory loss. They start with language loss and changes in your uh, ability to um, pursue daily tasks. You'll see changes in, in behavior and reasoning and judgment long before you'll see memory issues. So it is a little complicated, mm-hmm. but no matter what the sign and symptom is, we're the go-to place. And if you want to know the signs and symptoms, please, be, you'll, there'll be lots of contact information for you. Contact us or look us up on the web. There's a brochure called the 10 Warning Signs. And uh, you, can, you can look that up, but you need to think about two things. Number one, all of us will see ourselves in the 10 Warning Signs. All mm-hmm. of us. And we'll panic and we'll stop breathing for a minute and our stomach will clench up. Uh, just, just chill for a second. Take a deep breath. It's good for your brain. Breathe deeply. Um, the question is, do these signs and symptoms interfere with your ability to function on a daily basis? So it's a matter of degree. And the second thing is that those 10 warning signs are not rank ordered. So do not assume first I get one, then two, then three, then four. It doesn't work that way at all. In fact, the the 10th sign on the brochure is often what gets people to go to the doc. So So having said that, then how can a person tell the difference between normal memory loss from abnormal memory loss? Because as you said, we all go Mm -hmm. through this. I mean, I just forgot to do something this morning. (laughs) Sure. sure. Uh, I have to say fairly normal. We all forget things. Right. all forget things. So when does it become a tipping point? Mm -hmm. I'll just give you a couple of examples. When you got up this morning and you figured out what day of the week it was, Mm -hmm. however you chose to do that, you might've looked at a calendar, you might've flipped on the radio or the TV, whatever. Once you know that today is Tuesday, you should be able to hold that in your memory for the rest of the day. You shouldn't have to look it up again in half an hour. You shouldn't be asking somebody again later in the day. You shouldn't at lunchtime be going, what what day of the week is it? What's today? So you should be able to look up and hold on to the day for the day. If you, and I bet everybody listening or watching will relate to this. You go from one room to another room, you get there and you say, what the heck am I doing here? What was I after? Why did I come in here? I've already forgotten. And we get ourselves in a little kerfuffle. That has to do with several things. It can do with lack of concentration because Mm -hmm. often we're multitasking. And certainly the older we get, the less well we multitask. 
if though you go from room one to room two and you can't remember what you came for, at least you know you went for something. If you get from room one to room two and you don't even know that you were on a mission or on an errand, then that would be concerning. For oh, okay. most people, if you go from room one to room two, you get to room two, you think, oh, golly, what did I want? If you take a deep breath, I'm going to recommend deep breathing multiple times. It is really good for your brain. Take a deep breath. Just settle for a minute. Give it a second or two. Often it floats back to you. Or you can retrace your steps and bingo. You'll mm-hmm. remember that works. That's normal. It might be frustrating. It might be embarrassing, but that's pretty normal. It's absolutely normal to forget details about an experience, but it's not normal to forget the experience itself. Okay. So two weeks from now, I should be able to say that I did a webcast with Kathleen and Peter. I might not be able to say what color shirt you were wearing. I've memorized it now, Peter, but just as an example, I might not be able to say what color shirt you were wearing, but I should be able to remember that we did the podcast together. If though I have totally forgotten if that experience is missing, then that is something you would worry about. Right. Okay. And I'm going to ask you two to participate with a show of hands. So, how too many times has this ever happened to you that you have struggled for somebody's name? You've forgotten somebody's name. I can put my hand up. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Very typical. And people panic. Yeah, two hands. People absolutely panic. I would say to you that it is not uncommon to forget names at all. Names are very hard to remember. Uh, they're not associated with just one thing. Like the word chair is associated with something you sit on whether it's a rocking chair or a dining room chair or a lawn chair, it's something you sit on. People's names are different for everybody. So they don't have that commonality to them. So it's very hard to hang on to names. But if you are forgetting your son, daughter, spouse's name on a regular basis, then that would be a concern. Not if you forget names of acquaintances, people you haven't seen very often, the lady who sits on the other side of the church, you you can place them. You know where they fit in your world, but you can't think of their name. That's not a panic situation. Okay. I, I noticed you mentioned spouse and children. You didn't mention grandchildren. So I'm excused if I sometimes get confused about my grandkids. Am I? <laughs> I, I will, uh, and, or pets. Uh, your, your closest pet. You should probably know your closest pet's name. Oh, I know my pet's name's all right. Yeah, going back for years. <laughs> Good. Good. We have this pet joke that I'm not a very good grandfather, but in my defense, my, my two boys, one lives on a different continent and one lives quite a long way away in Canada. So the opportunity to yeah. see my grandchildren is not that, that good. But anyway, but I, it's a good point I'm you made. I'm sad for you because I know grandchildren bring a lot of joy to, to many people. So. Yeah, they do. They do. Thank but, goodness uh, there's technology these days. Yeah, we make the most of it when we do see them. So you, you mentioned on the website there's 10 warning signs. <laughs> now, for, for some of our audience uh, who may well go to your website and, and look at those 10 warning signs, uh, what, what do they do first if they think that an elder relative, a parent, or someone is starting to exhibit more than one of those warning signs? If there's a concern, you're going to start with your GP, your family doctor, okay. right? Okay. You go to your general practitioner. And he will probably want to do, he'll want to ask questions. He might want to do some blood work. What they want to do is eliminate 
any other possible reason that you could be having memory issues or other signs and symptoms. Okay. So they're not doing a blood test to prove you have dementia. They're trying to do a blood press blood test to prove you don't have something else, perhaps. Something else, right. Like I'm with you. Diabetes. Okay. So they will probably do a physical workup and they'll probably want to ask you a set of questions, cognitive questions, or give you a paper and pencil test to get what we call a baseline. Because what they'll be looking for if, they, if you're suspicious about some form of dementia are changes over time. So they need to get a baseline and then they need to test you again in a certain amount of time to see if there have been changes or not. So your doctor is the place that you start. Uh, depending on your doctor, they may or may not refer you on to a memory clinic, a geriatrician, a geriatric psychiatrist, a neurologist. Just depends on where you live, what resources are available, what you have in your regions. The doctor might well be able to uh, follow you and, and uh, you know, be all that you need, depending on the family doc. So it varies from person to person, but that's where you start. Okay. What, what on, leading on from that, though, what, what advice have you got in your long, obviously long experience for adult children whose parents are exhibiting signs to do it tactfully, to tactfully suggest they go to and see their GP? Because I know what my reaction would be if one of my sons said, Dad, we think you're going a little bit demented here. Um, it's, it's obviously a really sensitive subject. How, how do you it do is. it tactfully? Well, there is no one answer because every person is different and every family circumstance is different. But I would suggest a couple of things. If you're concerned about setting up for a doctor's appointment, especially the initial one, we have information about that that's available through our site. So call our, our uh, you can check on the website, but you can call us as well. And you can book an appointment with one of our social work team. There's no charge, as I said earlier. That's why we fundraise so hard. There's no charge. Book an appointment and brainstorm for your family member. Just in general, often, as opposed to saying you need to go for a memory test, you might want to say, haven't had a physical for a long time, or time for your flu shot, or let's get that blood pressure checked. And, uh, you know, you can uh, work other things into the sure, appointment. Sure. Okay. But oh, I would advice. recommend that, that that is an individualized uh, situation for every different family. Right. Thanks. So you have three great tips for family or friends of people that have Alzheimer's. Can you tell our audience more about those three tips? Well, these three tips are garnered through certainly the research and the literature and my own personal experience. I've worked with people living with dementia since I was 15 years old, and uh, we have family experience as well. So I would suggest tip number one, be really aware that even though people's abilities may be faltering, their ability to feel emotion remains intact. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. people go on feeling their own feelings right through the disease process. They might not be able to control their feelings the same way. They can't just dial them back. It's as if the volume button is broken for them, but they feel them. And, uh, Although it doesn't always show because they may lose the ability for facial expression or some of the dementias can make people look a little egocentric, um, the ability to feel your own emotion remains throughout the disease process. Why is that important? I tie that to my first tip. And my first tip is 
let go of being right. When we are constantly correcting people who live with dementia, they will not remember the correction, but they will remember the emotion mm -hmm. of the moment. Okay. There was a lecture or there was a frown or there was a shake of the head. They will be left with the feeling, but not the detail that you are trying to right. get through them. So obviously, if somebody is in danger, you are going to interfere. But other than that, back to my breathing, I'm going to suggest just take a breath. It doesn't matter that you're right and they're wrong. Just let go of being right. Try to think about being there to connect with them, not correct them. Join the journey. See what they have to say. Um, what you can do is not necessarily agree or disagree, but hear them out. Because emotion remains, people are usually coming from an emotional place when they're talking about something. So try to see what is the emotion behind the message and address that versus the actual details of the message. So that was my first tip. Um, the other thing that I would recommend is that we all slow down. People living with dementia, um, process things much more slowly. They can be anywhere from three to five to seven seconds behind us. Wow. So we, we think, we act, we talk, we move way too quickly for most people with dementia to easily keep up with. So we need to kind of slow ourselves down. Because processing speed is slowed, people living with dementia tend not to do particularly well in rushed situations, uh, crowded situations, noisy situations, busy places. Um, they will do usually better in one-to-one -one conversation or maybe two-to-one, a couple with, with somebody, uh, and where there is background noise eliminated, uh, the lighting is good, and there is no hurry and hustle uh, because they can easily be overwhelmed and, and have one of two negative experiences, they will either withdraw because they can't keep up with everything that's going on, or they'll have a bit of a blow up because they're overwhelmed by everything that's going on. So those, those things I would suggest, we just all slow down. It's good for us too. And the other thing that I'd like you to think about is that when somebody has dementia, they never lose their adult sensibilities. They lose their ability for facts and details and maybe the order of how you do things, but they don't lose their adult sensibilities that they've developed. So we really want to make sure that we try to communicate on an adult to adult level. Mm -hmm. People will not respond well to being patronized or ordered about at all. And so as dementia progresses, for many people, their vocabulary diminishes, their words disappear. It becomes harder and harder to communicate. And so behavior becomes a form of communication. So if uh, we can recognize that behavior is communication, behavior is not a deliberate attempt to irritate us or upset us or attention seek. If we recognize that people are doing the best they can with the abilities that they still have, then sometimes we can enhance uh, communication by becoming detectives. We know the person, what might make them behave this way? What might make them upset about this situation? 
And so if you want to learn how to be a really good detective when it comes to dementia, uh, come to the Alzheimer's Society and take our education courses. Absolutely. Wow. And, and might I add a fourth tip? Patience. Please. <laughs> patience, patience, patience. Lordy, if we could bottle that and sell it, um, I would solve the problems of the world. Absolutely. Yes, <laughs> definitely. So, Robin, yes. there's a lot more publicity about Alzheimer's um, Association, your organization and, and others that help. My question is, is the incidence of Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia increasing or are we just becoming more aware of it and it's getting better publicity? I think it's a combination of all three factors. Okay. First of all, um, we are the biggest risk for Alzheimer's disease is age. Age is the number one risk. Age trumps family history. So mm -hmm. age is your number one risk factor for any of the dementias. Well, not all, but most of the dementias. So age. We just happen to have a whole bunch of seniors because of the baby boom. Baby boom. Demographically, right. we have a larger proportion of our population in the age category to be developing dementia. Right, of course. So that kind of skews the numbers. It is certainly more well-known and spoken about. You, you might remember, or you, or you might not, but, but years ago, people were hesitant to even talk about cancer. Yeah. And they wouldn't even say the word. They called it, you know, C, the big C. And in a lot of ways, people were very hesitant to talk about Alzheimer's or dementia. Mm -hmm. And so I think that has been... Um, challenged. It's still slow. There's stigma attached, so much stigma attached for no reason, because it is an organic brain disease. You know, you wouldn't oh. have stigma against somebody because they broke their arm. No. Well, this is a broken brain as opposed to a broken arm. But um, people are talking about it more. And we have more research technology in the last 30 years has blossomed our ability to understand the disease process, to look inside people while they're still alive and see what's going on in their brains has blossomed. So there's a lot more knowledge about mm -hmm. the disease. Mm -hmm. Well, we're okay. running a little low we on are. time, but um, can you please tell us um, about the types of programs and services that you, the organization offers? I know that you touched on that earlier, but- Yeah, we have so many. I know we're short on time, so I'll, I'll run through briefly and quickly. Please look us up on the web because we have an awesome program guide. And, oh, my screen is blurred. It would look like, sorry. Um, <laughs> on, on our website, we have a program guide and it's updated every two months and it tells you everything in that two month span that we offer. We have social and recreational program for people living with dementia and some for people living with dementia and their care partners five days a week. We have social workers, we have registered social workers and we work Mondays to Fridays from 8.30 till four. We have lots of education. So you can take seminars with us, you can take courses with us, you can take series with us. You can check out our YouTube page and see uh, videos on our YouTube page and information there. We offer um, something called uh, Minds in Motion and we offer the music program. Minds in Motion is a combination of physical exercise and cognitive stimulation for the person living with dementia and a partner of theirs. Um, and that's offered, and that would be good for somebody in the early or, or early mid stage. Uh, but maybe later in the disease, people would 
if they've lost language, still respond to music. So we have a music program. We'll provide you with an iPod and headphones and you can make a personalized playlist. We uh, are always encouraging people to check out the website, Finding Your Way, Getting Lost is a huge risk factor for folks living with dementia. So you can, if you have concerns about that, be in touch with us. But the programs are always changing, something new, something different, something great, something fabulous. Excellent. I'm going to jump in with a quick one before Kathleen asks you how our viewers can contact you. We, we've read a lot that learning a new skill and, and when your years are advancing, like mine are, is good and, and may help uh, delay the onset of Alzheimer's and dementia. So, uh, is there some truth in that? Yeah, there is some truth in that. It is never, ever too late to take care of your brain health. Brain health really rests on several key factors. Physical exercise regularly. Mm -hmm. Got to get your heart strong, got to pump the blood to the brain, got to get physical exercise. It releases BDNF, brain-derived neurotropic factor. Uh, aerobic exercise can help you remember and think better, but you need strength training as well. Heart-smart diet. They recommend the Mediterranean diet or the mind diet, so you want to have a heart-smart diet. You need social connectedness. It is hugely important. Isolation is related to dementia. So we really want people to have a social circle. This is what you're talking about, Peter, the cognitive challenge. Anything new or different. If we do something that we've done before, our brain knows the shortcuts for it. Mm -hmm. What we want to do is build up new connections between neurons. Those are the brain cells, the nerve cells in the brain. So you want to do new, different variety never too late to do that. And lastly, you want to protect your head. You want to be really cautious about taking a blow to the head. So wear your seatbelt in the car, get rid of tripping hazards. Just be cautious about that. Wow. Thank you very much. Interesting. Kathleen, over to you. Well, you know what, Peter, I would have so many other questions for Robin. So perhaps Robin, you would, um, you would do us the honor of coming back in another show. Most um, definitely. If I were invited, yeah. I'd be delighted because Got to tell you, I'm just warming up, folks. Wow. I've worked wow. for the society for 15 years. I got 15 years of info to dump out here. <laughs> that's, that's excellent. We will definitely get you back again in, yes. in the not-too-distant yes. future. And such yeah. an important topic. So thank you so much, oh, yeah. Robin, for joining us. And uh, thank you for tuning into our show once again. We so appreciate you, and we love reading your comments. So please Before we go... Down. Yes. We just need to absolutely nail down how people can contact you, <gasps> the website yes, details. Of course. Sure. And I, I want to thank you both very much. This is an important service you're offering. And I just, I'd give you two thumbs up, but I'm holding something in my other hand right now. <laughs> Wonderful. So people, the best way to contact us right now, because it's the time of COVID, is to phone. I'm going to give okay. you a phone number sure. and then I'm going to give you a website. We respond to emails, telephone calls, but the offices are temporarily closed while we're in lockdown. Sure. So you can dial 519-742-1422. Or you could write us at ASWW at alzheimerww.ca and i'm going to spell that out aww at a l z h e i m e r w w dot c a got it okay our website did you want the website peter that'll be uh yes give it to me please 
www.alzheimerww.ca. Excellent. You could see that coming. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you mentioned a Facebook page. Uh, we do have a Facebook page. Um, and the best thing to do is go online and look up our website, and then there's an icon, and you can just go to Facebook. Because many people prefer Facebook as a way of finding out more information. We will put all of those on the website, Robin. Thank you very much. And yeah. just a pleasure are. to be here. Thank you so much. It was our pleasure, Robin. Thank you, and thank you all for tuning in once again. And uh, until next time, everyone, um, take care and bye bye. Bye.